Praise is rising in this place, amen? So I want you to rise and join with us in praise. We sing the song, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, what he did for us, how marvelous, how wonderful. Let's sing it. 
Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for the opportunity to come into worship. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you've already given us to lift up our hearts and our voices in praise. And I pray that as we continue that we would clearly understand that we are here for an audience of one. And that one is not the person beside us or behind us or in front of us. But that audience of one is for you and you alone. We are here to lift up your holy name. We're here to give you the glory and the honor that you and you alone deserve. And so, Lord, thank you for hearing us. Lord, we thank you that as we pray, we serve a God who, who is not only big enough to hear us, but, Lord, you are the God who's big enough and strong enough and powerful enough to intervene and to do something about the situations and circumstances of our life that so worry us. Lord, if we'll just lay it down at the foot of the cross and, and trust you with it, Lord. Lord, you have promised us that you'll keep it there. Lord, that we can trust you with it. And so, Lord, this morning we lift up all the many heart, broken hearts that are here today. Lord, we, we've got a church that has experienced a lot, of, a lot of pain in the last few weeks and months. And we, we pray for those families that are mourning the homegoing of loved ones. Lord, we pray for those that are hurting physically today with ailments, Lord, that Perhaps the doctor's kind of at a loss of what to do next. But, Lord, you're the great physician, so, Lord, we place those needs in your hand. Lord, I pray for the family, for maybe the couple this morning that's at, at the end of their rope, and they're not sure if they're going to hang on much longer. Lord, I pray that as the God of reconciliation, Lord, that you might put those relationships back together again. But most importantly, we know the answer to all of the needs in our lives are Jesus. You're the answer. And most importantly to that issue of, of lostness. And so, Lord, maybe it's an individual who's here today and they know they're lost and they need to be saved. Maybe it's someone who's praying for that spouse or that child or that brother, that sister, that best friend, the coworker. Lord, but we know that individual's lost and we pray that you might do a, heart, a work in their heart today. They would recognize their sin, that they repent of that sin, turning away from it and turning to you. And they might accept you as Lord and Savior today and experience what it is to have a personal love relationship with you. So, Lord, now, we give this time over to you. Do what only you can do in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To the Holy Lord, wonderful Lord, let's give thanks for all he's done for us as we sing together. Sing this to him from your heart to his. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to God.
Tim, would you pray for us here in just a moment? We come to the time in our service where we are able to come to this altar and spend some time in prayer, spend some time laying down whatever the needs may be in this past week. And uh, many of you, as I've already mentioned, you may have someone on your heart, you know they're lost, and you're praying for that opportunity to be able to share the gospel. Some of you may have gotten a difficult diagnosis this week, and, and you just want to lay that down at the foot of the cross, because that's something that's out of our hands many times, uh, but it's not out of the hands of our Savior. And maybe it's just a relationship, and you just want to pray over it this morning. You just want to give it over to the Lord, recognizing that He truly is the answer. But this morning, with every head bowed, and with all eyes closed today, maybe you need to come to this altar. Maybe you need to bring a, a loved one with you. Maybe just you and Jesus. Uh, but I want you to know the altar is open at this time. Let's come. Let's spend some time in prayer together. Dear precious Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, we come to you humbled this morning, Lord. Uh, Lord, just uh, come to you to, to bring these prayer requests to you, Lord. We're just honored and, and, uh, and glad that we can do this, Lord. Uh, Lord, we just uh, lift up those that have lost the loved ones here in the past, Lord. Been affecting that way, Lord. We just lift their families up to you. That you give them the comfort and the strength that they continue to need. Lord, uh, there's many with health issues going on. And, Lord, we just ask that you be with them. Give them the comfort and strength. Uh, be with the doctors and the nurses and, and all the tests and things that may be uh, going on in their lives, Lord. That they may get the results that and, and, and your will be done in those situations, Lord. Lord, just continue to watch over us here at Brownsburg Baptist Church, Lord. Just uh, all the many activities that go on and those that are traveling, those are in Montana now, Lord, on a mission trip, Lord, just ask your blessings there, Lord, that not only that you bless those that are there in Montana, but the workers that have went out, Lord, just uh, continue to be with them on this trip, keep them safe. Lord, uh, thankful for the Vacation Bible School and the camps and things that are able to continue and go on here at church, Lord that we didn't get to do a year ago. Lord, uh, just con continue to lead us in that direction so that we can reach out, uh, whether it be at work, school, wherever we may go, Lord, that we may take you and, and uh, honor and glorify your name, Lord. Lord, uh, if there's one here today that's lost, Lord, we just ask that they get to know you before it's everlasting too late. Lord, just help us to help them in any way, any word that we may give that would help to honor and glorify your name, Lord, and just to help lead them to you before it's everlasting too late. Lord, just give us a good day here. Just uh, see us back here at the next appointed time, Lord. That, uh, Lord, uh, be with us tonight as we observe the Lord's Supper, Lord, that we may be humbled and, and just uh, exalt you in that, Lord. Just uh, give us a good day, good day of fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. celebrate together the victory that we have in Jesus. It's a great song together. Here we go.
Well, it was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer fell. It was hardly worth his while to waste much time on the old violin. But he held it up with a smile. Well, it sure ain't much, but it's all we've got left. I guess we ought to sell it too. Now, who'll start the bid on this old violin? Just one more and we'll be through. And then he cried, one, give me one dollar. Who'll make it two? Only two dollars. Who'll make it three? Three dollars twice now, that's a good price now. Who's gonna bid for me? Raise up your hand now. Don't wait any longer. The auction's about to end. Who's got four? Just one dollar more to bid on this old violin. Well, the air was hot and the people stood around as the sun was setting low. From the back of the crowd, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up a bow. He wiped the dust from the old violin. He tightened up the strings. And he played out a melody pure and sweet, sweeter than angels sing. stopped and the auctioneer with the voice that was quite low he said now what I bid for this old violin then he held it up with a bow and he cried out one give me one thousand Who'll make it two? Only two thousand. Who'll make it three? Three thousand twice, you know that's a good price. Come on. Who's gonna bid for me? And the people cried out, what made the change? We don't understand. Then the auctioneer stopped and he said with a smile, it was the touch of the master's hand. You know there's many a man with his life out of tune. He's battered and scarred with sin. And he's auctioned cheap to a thankless world, much like that old violin. Oh, but then the master comes, that old foolish crowd, they never understand. The worth of a soul and the change that is wrought just by one touch of the master's hand. Then he cried out, one, give me one thousand. Who'll make it two? Only two thousand. Who'll make it three? Three thousand twice. You know that's a good price. Come on. Who's going to bid for me? People cried out, what made the change? We don't understand. And the auctionist stopped and he said with a smile, it was the touch of the master's hand. It was the touch of the master's hand.
Amen. And aren't you thankful that the master took you while you were still in the muck and the mire of sin and washed you in his precious blood. And now anything of beauty, anything of, of worth comes because of what he is doing in and through our lives. And so we are so thankful for that. Thank you, Brother Rockman. If you will, turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17 as we continue our series through the book through this letter of revelation and i pray that it's been speaking to your heart as it has been to mine and uh, this morning we're looking at babylon's doom let's go to the lord in prayer lord heavenly father we come to you today and we thank you for the opportunity to open up your word and once again today i pray that if there's even one friend here today that does not yet know you as savior and lord that you would impress on them through the conviction of the Holy Spirit their great need to repent of sin and turn to you by faith and Lord today might be a day of salvation for them Lord, I pray for your church today Lord help us to hear Lord, help us to hear these words Lord help us to recognize that you are calling us to continue to share the gospel with a lost and a dying world that so desperately needs to hear because this day is coming this day of tribulation is coming this day when the world will be judged is coming and Lord uh, there, there will be no chance uh, for repentance at that day there will be no chance to be saved and so lord help us to share while there is opportunity for men and women boys and girls to still turn to you lord i know there are many needs in this place lord i pray that you would speak to hearts as only you can hide me behind the cross so only you'd be seen and only you'd be heard for it's in jesus name we pray amen i don't know if you have noticed uh, when you turn on the television or maybe when you read the news here lately um, but men and women are running away from God. They are trying to distance themselves from God in every way possible. And yet this is not something new. Since the dawn of time, men have been looking for ways to try to push God away. Man has been in the business of trying to rest in his own power and his own accomplishments and his own abilities to produce uh, enjoyment for himself uh, and, and never thinking about God. In chapter 16, in that last great judgment, everything man trusted in was taken away. We saw those last pillars that, that man trusted in have now been jerked out. And we're also told in Revelation 16, 19, that great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath so babylon is a city but it's also a system babylon represents everything mankind has accomplished apart from god and this system is judged in that seventh bowl judgment we have now in chapters 17 and 18 another parenthetical passage and in these two chapters it gives us in great detail the destruction of the Babylonian system. In chapter 17, we see the destruction of the religious Babylon. And then in chapter 18, we will see the destruction of economic Babylon. And so let's walk this morning through these verses and, and look to see some clarification, some understanding of what God's judgment will look like on Babylon. Please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Chapter 17 of Revelation. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and he talked with me saying unto me come hither and I will shew thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth 
have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. And so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was the name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs and Jesus. And when he saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel, and I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. And the beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder of, her, of whose name were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not, and yet is. And there is the mind which hath wisdom the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth and there are seven kings five are fallen one is and the other is not yet come and when he cometh he must continue a short space and the beast that was and is not even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition and the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdoms as of yet but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them for the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and they are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And he saith unto, the, unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore. And shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree, and to give their kingdom unto the beast, until the word of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. You may be seated. A little bit to deal with there, isn't there? In chapter 17. Let's see if we can get some clarification here in this chapter. First, I want you to look at verses 1 through 6 with me. And I want you to see the Babylonian harlot described here. The first verse here tells us that we are going to witness the judgment of the great whore. Now, that word whore is not a word that we use in polite society. But it is a word that is used here in Scripture, and so it is right that we deal with it that we come to understanding of what it means in translation the greek word pornia which refers to a woman who sells her body for sexual use a harlot or a prostitute is what is being spoken of here in this verse it also is used to refer to a woman who is an idolatrous and so in this passage the word refers to the whole system of false religion that is embraced by this world and so these verses teach us about the system of false religion and how it will be judged someday. And so in verse 1, we see the scope of this system. We see the scope of this system. We're told that the harlot sitteth upon many waters. Now, if you look at verse 15, it gives us the commentary on this verse. What we see here is a one-world religious system. Right now, there are thousands, literally thousands of religions that are practiced on this planet. There's little agreement between any of them. But the primary five religions that are recognized at this point is Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism. And most of the world's population um, are, are in, in agreement that those are the, the five uh, that are observed by most people. And there, are, uh, there will come a day, though, when all the religions of the world will be brought into one world religion. And we've kind of seen that already. They'll be brought under that one banner. The Antichrist or the false prophet will have a plan that will iron out all the differences between these religious beliefs. And one day there will be a one world religion. There already is a push, if you've noticed, in that direction. Uh, there is an uh, ecumenical movement 
working in our day that is seeking to bring all religions into one, to, for the world to, to have one religion that everyone practices. And you might be uh, familiar with that idea because all you have to do is, is maybe you've gone on vacation, maybe you've just been driving down the interstate, and you've seen one of those bumper stickers that says coexist, and it has all of the different religious symbols on that bumper sticker. And the idea is, is, is just everybody get along, just everybody believe whatever they want, and that's fine. There's a problem with that church, though, isn't there? There's a problem with the idea of just coexisting and everybody just believing whatever they want to believe. The problem is Christianity is different from all other religions on the face of the earth because Christianity is not a religion. It is a faith. It is a relationship with a living God. Christianity isn't something that we came up with. It's something that God revealed to us in his holy word. He gave us his word. He, he, he's the one that inspired men to write down his word. This is not coming from men. This is coming from God. And so when the rapture occurs here, we see all true Christians will be removed from this world. And what will be left will be those who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Those kind of people, people who practice that kind of faith, will be easy prey for the devil and for this demonic religion. But look with me at, ver at, at uh, verse 2, and we see this seduction of this system. According to verse 2, the entire world will come under the spell of this great end-time religion. We're told that kings of the world uh, will, will be part of this movement. The leaders of this world will be part of this movement. Um, and the whole world will be intoxicated by the teaching of this false religious system of belief. Like a slick seductress. This great harlot will seduce the world with her promises of power. And then in verse 3, we see the supporters of this system. This harlot is supported by the Antichrist. The Antichrist is the beast, and he carries this religious system to great power in the world. The phrase, full of names of blasphemy, reminds us that Antichrist will set himself up as God. If you'll remember, he's going to enter the Jewish temple, and he's going to demand that the world worship him. We see that in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 and 4. And he's going to demand worship and he's going to delude the world in, into giving him uh, that worship. And we see that in 2 Thessalonians 2, 11. Then the world will give this religion, it, it, we see that he will get, give this religion its power. According to verse 9, this system sits on seven hills. Now what does that mean? Well, this could re be a reference to the ancient uh, Rome, which was built on seven hills, and some think that because of that it's a reference to Roman Catholicism. But really, if you think about it, the seven hills refers to a reference to seven continents, meaning this is going to be uh, a, a system that is worldwide in scope and in nature. Uh, there's not going to be an area in the world where this religion will not be practiced. But then in verse 4, we see the success of this system. Just as a prostitute usually dresses very provocatively to draw attention to herself, so does this false religious system. Notice what, what, what the Lord tells us about it. The, the religion wears the colors of purple and scarlet. Uh, these are colors of, ro of royalty and nobility. She is decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, which speaks to her wealth and her pro uh, prosperity. So this system will be uh, wealthy beyond words. Uh, and this is true of, of any great religious system today as well. There's big money in religion. And we see that as, as, as guys get on television, as televangelists, and tell people to send in their life savings to, to plant a faith seed. And we see people taken in by that all the time. And, and so we see that some people grow very wealthy at the expense of others. And that's what we see here in the end times. The Bible tells us that this system is well-connected and, and it's prosperous but it's all just a pretense. This harlot holds in her hands a golden cup full of abominations and filthiness of her fornications. And so while this religion appears healthy and good and prosperous on the outside, it is really filled with corruption on the inside. And so it is an abomination to God, it says. There's a danger as any church or any denomination grows that it will thrive on its own prosperity and forget its allegiance to the Lord. Uh, in any organization, and that includes churches, can become 
prosperous in its own power at times. And there is a subtle seduction in money and power that can easily lead a system off the course of holiness and godliness. Many movements that began well have gone away from God, having been seduced by power and popularity and, 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 and prosperity. So there's a tendency to change so that the trend might continue, so that you might continue to have that popularity with the culture, that you might continue to have that, that power in the culture and, and prosperity in the culture. And that's a dangerous place to be. But look with me at verse 5, when we see the spirit of this system. In ancient times, it was common for prostitutes to wear some kind of identification so that prospective customers would recognize them. Well, this system is identified as well. It's identified by God as the mother of harlots and abomination of the earth. When we speak of Babylon, many people immediately begin to think of that great city. And it is a city. Uh, it's a city that's located in modern-day Iraq, but Babylon is a city that once was the grandest capital of the most powerful nation in the world, but today it is abandoned. And the only people that really care about Babylon today are basically uh, archaeologists and historians, but Babylon is a system as well. Babylon is described as a system from which every false religious system in the world originated. And so this is what the title mother implies. The Babylonian system uh, first came into, into our notice in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, the city was called Babel then, and it was founded by a very wicked man by the name of Nimrod. So the people of, of Babel decided to build themselves a tower so that they could make a name for themselves rather than to bring honor and glory to God. They desired to bring honor to their names. And so here we see that the flood was fresh on their minds. They wanted to leave their mark on this world. And so this tower was not designed so much to reach into heaven as it was designed as a temple to heaven. The constellations were placed at the top of this tower, and men climbed it to worship the heavenly bodies, we're told, in Genesis 11, verse 4. The tower and the religion it represented is the first of many false religions started by man. They were the first false religionists, but they would not be the last. However, the same seeds of humanism and of pride that are found here in their attempt at forming their own religion can be found in every false religion founded by man throughout all of time. God judged these people for their rebellion and for their foolish worship. And just as he judged them, he will one day judge all the false religions of this world. And that's what we see here in Revelation chapter 17, that judgment coming. This chapter clearly reveals what will happen to the false religions of the world at the end of the tribulation period of time. Then in verse 6, we see the slaughter of this system. The slaughter of the system. This system of belief is responsible for the death of every saint of God who has ever died at the hands of false religion. From the death of Abel to the prophets, to the early Christian martyrs, to the martyrs of the Inquisition, all the way to the millions of martyrs who will give their lives during this tribulation period of time. Every single death can be laid at the feet of the, Babylon, of the Babylonian harlot. She is responsible for the deaths of God's children, and she will be judged for her bloodthirsty ways. But then look secondly at verses 7 through 15, and we see the Babylonian system demystified. So these may be some of the most um, hard-to-understand verses in all of, of Revelation. Um, but I hope to be able uh, to, to make some things a little bit clearer for you by looking at the verses and allowing them to describe themselves, which is the way the Lord desires for us to interpret Scripture. We interpret Scripture by Scripture. And so we were able to do that some here as well. Look at verses 7 through 11. And see, we see the beast demystified. As I said, these are... Confusing verses. They, they can be hard to understand. But verse 8 refers to the miracle of the Antichrist's death and resurrection. So whether the, his death and resurrection are real or fake, it doesn't really matter. Because the result is the same. Because what we see here is most of the lost people in this world will believe the miracle and they will follow Antichrist. Verse 10 refers to the seven great world kingdoms. Five were already passed in John's day. Those were Egypt, Babylon, 
Medo-Persia and Greece, and one was ruling, which was Rome. The other one was to come, and that was of the Antichrist. Verse 11 refers to the reign of the Antichrist, and he will be a world leader. But after this miracle takes place, the miracle of his death and resurrection, he will become the world's lone leader. But his judgment is set in stone. Even with all of his power, with all of his popularity, Antichrist is headed to hell. It's written in stone. Look at verses 12 through 13 and we see the benefactors demystified here. These two verses refer to ten kings. And we're told that these ten kings will give their full allegiance and power to the Antichrist. And in return, he's going to give them great power and authority. In other words, these kings are wholly committed to the reign of Antichrist. They were given a kingdom. But how short is this, this reign of this kingdom? Apparently, it's pretty short because it's referred to as being a reign of one hour. So in other words, they're going to give, give their all so they can have a very short-lived reign. But they will do it so that Antichrist can have power over these kingdoms. But then look at verse 14 and we see the battle demystified as we mentioned back in chapter 16 the nations of the world under the direction of antichrist and his kings will gather to do battle with jesus christ at armageddon they are fighting a losing battle though because they are foolish enough to go on the attack against the lamb the lamb they attack is who he is the king of kings he is the lord of of lords and he will destroy them with his word in other words what's going to happen here is that just as jesus opened up his mouth and out came planets and solar systems and all that was ever created as jesus opens his mouth and he taught the people and salvation came just as jesus opens his mouth here out will come a sword and the battle will be over that is the power of the word of the Lord. He will open his mouth and he will destroy them with the word of his mouth. And we're going to study that in a further way in a few weeks. But this verse refers to those who are with the Lamb when he comes and does battle with the world. Listen to what it says about them. They are the called and the chosen and the faithful. Do you know who that's talking about? The called, the chosen, the faithful. It's talking about, if you're saved this morning, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's talking about you. And it's talking about me. You are the called. You are the chosen. You are the faithful. And when he comes, guess what? We're coming with him. Isn't that exciting? That when Jesus comes and does battle here, that we are coming with him. But you know what we're going to be wearing? We're not going to be wearing battle fatigues. We're not going to be wearing camouflage. You know what we're going to be wearing? We're going to be wearing white robes. Because there's going to be no need for us to do any fighting. We're just going to be there to witness as Jesus Christ opens his mouth and he defeats them all. And we will be there to cheer him on. We will be there to, in shouts of glory and honor to him as he claims victory over all of his enemies. Oh, what a day that that will be. I'm so thankful to be the called. I'm so thankful to be the chosen. I'm so thankful to be part of the faithful. But then look with me at verses 16 and 17, and we see the Babylonian harlot destroyed. The reality of the harlot's destruction is seen there in verse 16. After the Antichrist and his minions used the harlot to achieve power, they will now turn on her. And when they have reached the pinnacle of success, they have no need for this religious system anymore. And they turn on the harlot, and they totally destroy her. In verse 17, we see the reason for the harlot's destruction. The reason for the harlot's destruction is Antichrist and his followers do not know it, but they are merely doing the, the will of the Lord here. He is the one who has put it into their hearts to destroy the Babylonian religious system, and God uses these wicked men to carry out his will against this false religion. God hates false religion. Do you know that? So often we're told that, you know, as long as anybody's sincere about their faith as long as they're sincere about what they believe that that's okay and that you know all roads are like you know a wheel with spokes leading into the center and they're all going to get you to God no they're not God hates false religion he hates anything that leads us away from his son and so 
in the end of the world, he will use the ungodly to destroy the ungodly. Organized religion is a disgrace to God. When ritual and tradition and, and the doctrines of men take prominence over the Lord God, it is a false religion. It is false worship. And listen, folks, it doesn't matter what name we place on the sign or what name may be pl plastered over the door. It doesn't matter what they claim to be. When anything, when anyone but Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, anything, anyone but Jesus Christ alone is center of attention, it is a false religion, and it will be destroyed by God one day. Anything. And folks, that can be in any religion. That can be in any denomination. When anything becomes more important than Jesus Christ, it will be destroyed by the Lord. And so when the tribulation period ends, all false religion will be destroyed. And this will pave the way for the millennial reign of Jesus. He will usher in a 1,000-year period of time when people will worship no one but him, at least openly. And I'm looking forward to that 1,000 years. Isn't that going to be wonderful? That's going to be a wonderful time when we finally have a leader we can believe in, and his name is Jesus Christ. Did you know that man is a religious creature? Did you know that every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, that we've all been created to be religious creatures? That's right. Every one of us worships something. You say, well, well Brother Brad, what about the atheist who doesn't believe anything? He believes in his unbelief. He has a religious system. He believes strongly in his unbelief. You just you start to argue with an atheist and just see how, how strongly he believes in what he doesn't believe. He'll argue with you probably more than a Christian would. They believe strongly. When it, when it all is said and done, this thing comes down to two simple choices. Either Jesus Christ or false religion. There's only two choices. Because it doesn't matter which false religion you choose, it's a false religion. So it's either Jesus Christ, the one true and living God, or false religion. There's two choices. There's no sitting in the middle. There's no saying, well, I'm trying to make my choice. If you're trying to make your choice, you're still believing in false religion. There's Jesus Christ and there's false religion. And so every belief system in the world that does not center on the Lord Jesus Christ is a false system of belief. It is a false religion. So how can I say that? You say, well, did Jesus ever say that? I'm glad you asked because, yes, he did. John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You say, Brother Brad, but that's just one verse. Well, let me give you another one. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You say, well, can you come up with a third? Well, sure, I can. John chapter 8, verse 24. I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. I don't know about you, but that's, that's pretty cut and dried. There's either Jesus Christ and a faith relationship with him, or there is false religion. He really doesn't give us any gray area. It's either black or it's white. There's no in-between. And so... What I want you to understand here is that this is not Brother Brad speaking here. This is the Word of God, that there is only one way. This isn't my opinion. This is God's truth, that there is only one way. So, what's it going to be for you this morning? Is it Jesus Christ? Is it a relationship with the one who died for your sins on the cross of Calvary? Is it the one who overcame even death itself three days later when he got up out of that grave? Or is it going to be all of what the world's trying to feed us that leads to destruction and death? What will it be this morning? What's it going to be? Don't be satisfied. Listen to me this morning. Don't be satisfied by simply walking an aisle saying some words in a prayer, perhaps repeated, 
and then getting wet in a baptistry. If you are saved, those are steps of obedience. If you are not saved, those are just steps. There's no obedience to it because you haven't followed the first, which is to believe on Jesus Christ. And so don't be satisfied with simply having your name on a roll of a organization maybe it's a church maybe it's some other organization and you're trusting because well my name's written there i'm a member you know what there's a lot of lost members of churches who have died and gone to hell make sure you have a personal love relationship with jesus christ don't be satisfied with anything less than believing on the lord jesus christ himself him alone for your salvation because one day one day the question's going to come what do you plead before God Almighty. And the only acceptable answer will be the blood of Jesus Christ. Your per personal love relationship with him. All else is just religion. Anything less than Jesus is a prescription for hell. Anything else. And so one day God is going to judge. And there will be only one plea that will be acceptable. The blood of Jesus has covered me. And that is my answer. My answer is not that I'm a member of a wonderful Southern Baptist church called Brinesburg Baptist Church. My answer will not be that I'm the pastor of a wonderful Southern Baptist church called Brinesburg Baptist Church. My answer will not be that I have parents and grandparents who were wonderful Christian believers. My answer will not be that I walked an aisle. My answer will not be that I was baptized. My answer will be I have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my answer. And that's the only answer that will matter. And so this morning the question comes, what will your answer be? Are you trusting in anything other than a relationship with Jesus? Because if you are, it is a prescription for hell. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know the one who saved my soul that can save yours. The one who died on the cross of Calvary in my stead. The one who was dead and buried for three days. The one who arose again and defeated even death itself. I want you to know him. I don't want you to know religion. I don't want you to j just memorize the, the, the doctrine that you know, somebody might have shown you. I want you to know Jesus. And once you know Jesus, everything else is going to make sense to you. But you got to know Jesus first. You got to know Jesus first. And so have you ever made that decision? Have you ever said yes to Jesus? Because that's what's being offered this morning. A relationship with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Savior. The only thing that will matter do you know him? Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And I know that your Holy Spirit is working right now. Lord, that there are individuals this morning here on, watching on television, watching on Facebook Live, and they're under conviction at this very moment. Lord, you're speaking to their hearts and you're calling their name and you're telling them that you love them. And that you died on the cross for them. And that you rose again that they might understand the power that can even defeat death. And it can give life everlasting. Lord, you want a relationship with them. But Lord, they must receive it. They must accept that free gift of salvation. And so, Lord, today, as, as this invitation is offered, Lord, I pray that there would be many who would say yes to that free gift. Lord, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the work that you're doing even right now in the hearts of many. Lord, perhaps there's someone who's been saved and they have never let the church rejoice in that and celebrate in that decision. Lord, I pray that they would come. Perhaps there's someone today who needs to join this church family and make this their home make this the place where they serve and do ministry and missions lord i pray that they'd come this morning maybe just some that need to pray lord help us to be obedient in whatever you've called us to do today lord in jesus name we pray amen as we